Hi guys, this is your host Tweak, and here is just a short disclaimer that the following episode features some vocabulary that may be considered profanity or vulgar, and might not be deemed appropriate for younger listeners, so your discretion is advised. And welcome to the third episode of our podcast, Contact Lost, from Poland, about the Polish competitive scene, but also about the international uh, competitive scene. Today with me, I have some amazing guests. So please give a warm welcome to our staple, Joker. Hello again. With us, we have also uh, Piotr, or Tyfus, the one that you should know by now from the first episode. Hi, dude. Thanks for having me again. Welcome. And last but not least, the main coordinator of the Polish League, Dave. Thanks for having me for the first time. I believe it's going to be special. So, uh, listen guys, this episode is uh, going to focus on a topic that is very hot right now, which is uh, table-side manners. And we will try to work out some tips uh, and hints for making our games a pleasure and not a harrowing experience. I believe this topic has been touched on uh, a number of other podcasts, but hopefully we will give you a brand new, fresh look on the topic. But before we get to the merit of the episode, uh, as usual, I would just like to make a couple of announcements uh, for our listeners. The first one, like I mentioned last week, the Three City League is up and running again. Uh, we have a bunch of players already signed up. The games are already already taking place. But still, if you want to participate, do let me know. Do visit 3city40k.pl uh, and feel free to sign up. Let me know if you want to participate, if you want to be in one of the groups, and I'll make sure that you are involved. So that would be one thing. Another announcement, DragonStorePL is organizing uh, three tournaments in September. One on the 8th of September, that's going to be 500 points. A patrol, uh, the second one on the 19th of September, uh, this will be a 2000 point singles tournament that is going to happen overnight. So something that we haven't done before. Uh, I'm really keen to see how it goes, especially that I'm going to participate in that one myself. And uh, the third one, is going to happen on the 27th of September, also a 2000 point single event, and you can still sign up for the event. So go check your Facebook, check the calendar, and do sign up. For all the information about competitions and tournaments happening in Poland locally, make sure that you head on to wh40k.pl, which is the old Polish forum about wargaming and 40k in particular. In the tournament and events section, you will find all the threads about all the events that are planned for the next weeks and months. So make sure you go to that website and uh, you subscribe for the forum and you'll get all the latest information about all the events happening in Poland. And one of such events that I would like to highlight to you, although it is not a Warhammer 40k event, 
Our friends from the Bolt community here in the north of Poland are organizing a themed event called Bolt Action Blitzkrieg. So if you are keen to see some of the biggest battles of the Second World War played out on some amazing terrain, and if you are in the area of Rumia, make sure you head to Stacja Kultura by the main train station. Um, an unforgettable experience awaits for you. If you cannot make it, still I encourage you to see the videos that I linked in the comments uh, so from some previous events. And this year, the guys managed to obtain subsidies from Rumia City Council and Gdańsk City Council. And all those funds have been invested into new terrain that the event will feature. Uh, it's an open entry, so make sure you don't miss it, guys. And last but not least, uh, you can now find us not only on YouTube, but also on iTunes, Spotify, Facebook, Anchor, and all the other podcasting platforms. But no matter where you listen to us, though, Please help us grow by liking us, subscribing, and by leaving a comment about your best practices when it comes to tableside manners and sportsmanship. And now, on to the episode. So, uh, let's get to the nitty-gritty of it. Uh, let's start with our new guest. So, Dave, um, who are you? What is your experience with the game? You know, I know that you, you've been playing for a while, you've been refereeing for a while. Which of those gives you more pleasure? Uh, hard question. But uh, from the start, yeah, so I've been playing uh, 40k in a rather competitive way for a few years now. I started from the local tournaments, uh, then uh, after one and a half year, I believe, or two years, I've been a part of the Polish uh, team for the ETC 2018, yes, where I played. Uh, KS Demons, uh, a big spam of plug bearers. Previously, I was, I was playing uh, Brimstone spam, so uh, you can get a taste of my uh, kind of armies. Mostly a lot of uh, really resilient and annoying things on the table. Uh, and then in 2019, I, was, I decided to be a referee. Uh, Typhus helped me to become one. <laughs> uh, With me so, not being able to go to ETC. <laughs> yeah, uh, ETC referee team just needs someone from Poland to send to, to the worst tables. Uh, <laughs> more arguing players with most difficult uh, nationalities so yeah they need a polish guy so they choose me uh, and that was a really really good uh, fun but it was unexpectedly a lot of job and a lot of walking i was exhausted but it was still really ple pleasant but in the long term, I cannot uh, strictly say if I want, uh, if I prefer to play or prefer to be a referee. Uh, being a referee is cool if you are a referee at the WTC or ETC previously, uh, the big tournaments with a lot of people. It's m more satisfying, of course. Uh, and I believe that playing uh, is as good as at the ETC as it could be at the local tournaments sometimes. So there's no clear answer, but as you can see, I know some things I played. I uh, was a referee, so I know both sides of the game, and I met some really weird people and really fantastic people at the table. So, yeah, we can try to talk about how to behave and how to be a good player. Cool. Cool. And for those of you who uh, didn't listen to the first episode, uh, Tiflis, who is also on the call, 
also used to referee and he also used to play. So uh, we actually have two people who definitely uh, are in the position to tell us something about major events and people's behavior at those events. So tell me that maybe because before we get to like the, the proper questions, just do you even happen to play not competitively at all right now? Or like, do you play for fun or is competitive all that you do? Uh, well, okay. I'll, I'll start by answering that question first. Well, for me, playing competitively is fun. I mean, uh, I can play competitively and have fun while playing some weird lists that are really unconventional. Uh, for example, one that Dave is actually playing right now was my idea two years ago, I think. And yeah, for me, having fun is almost always connected with smashing other people, but in a friendly manner while having a few drinks and enjoying the time spent together. Even though that, that sounded weird, but whatever. <laughs> okay. Sounds, sounds perfectly. Uh, so it's uh, Tiffus really stole my answer because uh, I can only have fun playing competitively, I believe. Uh, I believe uh, two years ago we tried to make some fun tournament where you were supposed to bring the worst uh, list you could possibly imagine. And I was really struggling to, uh, to even make one because each time I tried to make something stupid in the list, that part of my brain just told me, don't, uh, put some, something else. That is something that would work. So it's just like I cannot play it uh, like narrative play or uh, casual playing. And it just the way I enjoy the game is by playing competitively, and it's just fun for me. Uh, it's not like you cannot have fun without playing competitively. Of course, uh, every person has a way of enjoying this game. Everyone has one. Has one. But uh, for us, it's being competitive while having fun, or having fun while being competitive. Right. I, and, I, and I think this statement should generalize to not only me and Dave, but to nearly every competitive player that attended TTC. Uh, that yeah. I think there, there, there's like a part of personality of a, of a person that goes to those tournaments, that refs those tournaments, that you truly need to be competitive from nature to mm -hmm. really enjoy those, uh, those tournaments. I'm not saying you cannot enjoy them if you're actually a casual, but mostly people who go there are actually competitive for maybe except some people from like Northern Ireland to <laughs> always come there to have fun, which I, I applaud, like they, they are great people, but in, enough of off topic, me and Dave are great at it when we are together. So I'm sorry in advance. Yeah, yeah, no worries. We're, we're, we're trying to have control over it. From the topic. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Uh, Joker, a question to you, because you were one of those guys in uh, in the north of Poland who came to the conclusion that you know competitive sometimes becomes too competitive, and you started organizing those like chill meetings for people to bring whatever they have and to just have fun without like any points set. Uh, you know, choose the missions that you want, do whatever you want. So. What do you think? Is, is it possible to, to play competitively and have fun, or do you have to separate those two things? I think it's possible. I mean, it's just uh, when you're playing competitively or when you're playing at all, there's, uh, you just need to adhere to one simple rule. Don't be a dick. 
true that's that. it the target audience for those events was different and different people would come to the let's call it chill playing uh, and different people came to tournaments sometimes the guys that would come to the chill out sessions would later try the their lists at tournaments but that wasn't often the case so it's it's just yeah like i said the target audience is different for for those kind of events and it's just down to the person if they want to try and uh if they feel competitive at times uh or just want to play casually because they don't have the time to you know uh follow the meta all the time and they only manage to get out once every three months to have a game the the, the tournament isn't something that's that's going to appeal to them all right guys from my observation it does happen and it happens more often than not that people with whom i get along really well in like everyday situations and everyday conversations when they go to a tournament when they are placed in that competitive setting suddenly they turn into someone completely different into someone else um and sometimes you know to that kind of people that i wouldn't really like to spend time with is that only my observation or is this something that you perhaps see as well uh tiffles let's start with you so i i can tell from from my perspective i think i am such a person it's not like i become suddenly as joker mentioned a man private part a man's private part but it's it's, it's like you always have the spark that you want to win maybe you don't want to win at all costs but you still kind of lose some 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 of that spark that's just going there to play maybe it's just from my perspective but it still means that i would play differently when i would just go for for example national team meeting and play with guys to find out new rules or new tricks or things that would actually work out on the table. But when it comes to tournaments that you actually go there to win, usually most players do, uh, you can at times be kind of different because when there comes to some kind of discussion or disagreement, it can become heated. Usually it doesn't, but when it does, which is really rare, but it does, especially at tournaments with higher stakes like WTC, then, then it's completely different. All right, Dave, what do you think? For me, it's a rather simple uh, thing. It's not a rocket science; it's neurobiology. So, we are still competing, uh, competitive. We are uh, fighting over something. Uh, our brain do not exactly know that there are plastic figurines involved. But still, our brain just uh, works like that. There's adrenaline, there's uh, dopamine rushing our brain and making us more aggressive sometimes. Uh, maybe even uh, making uh, it discomfort for the, for the other player. So when you have a situation like this, when your opponent is getting too hyped on the uh, winning, is uh, getting angrier uh, or even aggressive, just take a break, uh, two to five minutes, uh, get your both heads cooled down, it will go away, try again. If it's happening again, then there's probably a problem with the 
person you're playing with, but usually it helps and it just goes away. Of course, everyone when is uh, playing, especially when you are playing some games that are tied, you don't know from the start that you're going to win or lose, but you can win and you do everything you can to win, then your brain is getting you more pumped up upon it and you sometimes can get lost in, the, in it and just act like a dick. But it's simple psychology. Just give it a minute break, take a stroll, drink a beer, go for a cigarette, whatever yeah, works. To, to, to expand what Dave just said, there is there is one thing that I've been always doing when I was going to tournaments and meeting new people. One of those things is actually buy yourself and the other person if they drink a beer because it sets up completely different uh, environment for the game because you are kind of chilled from the start which like tells your opponent that you are here to play but not to play if you know what I mean mm -hmm. and that's one thing or other, or other things that for example our national team was doing for years and that actually other people from other teams enjoyed playing against us is that we had some gifts for example we had like national dice some national markers or other yeah. gadgets for the game that you <laughs> that you began that you began your game with your opponent giving them some free stuff like a, as an uh, as a let's say as an appreciation of of the fact that you are playing here after spending thousands of your currency to get here and, and I think there are many ways nice. you can actually do that. That's actually really cool. Is that an original idea that you guys had, or did you observe other teams doing that? What? From mm. what I can tell from like rolling back the years, uh, I think we were like one of the first teams to actually do that because a lot of those, let's say, bits shops that produce alternative figurines, etc., are from Poland. And we've been sponsored by them for years now. I don't remember when it was the first time, but I think it was like even back in 2009. So the idea, I think maybe it didn't originate in Poland. I'm pretty sure it originated somewhere else. But when it comes to ETC, there were multiple teams that were actually doing stuff like this. For example, there's one team that me and Dave have a special place in heart when it comes to WTC and that's Romanian team. Oh. They, for example, always brought this special homebrew. Uh, and I, by homebrew, I do not mean coffee. Let's, let, like let, moonshine. Let's, yeah, moonshine is a better, better term for that. It's so moonshine, but it's really close to it. It's seventy percent strong, so it really sets your nerves down. Oh yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, so so there is. There are teams that actually do that. And I think during the years, I could see that more and more teams actually done that. I remember back in 2012 when the, there was the WTC in Gorzów in Poland, uh, the <laughs> Irish, team, Irish team actually brought one bottle of, I think, 300 milliliters whiskey per opponent. So they actually, counting, counting that they had five games, because I think that ETC only had five games, that actually meant five times eight, five times nine, including coach, 14, 45 bottles of whiskey for their, oh, yeah. for their opponents, just as a gift. Seriously? So, yes. Wow. 
That's why you play ATC, to get a free booze. <laughs> <laughs> That's the best story of advertisement, I guess. And now you've motivated me to try to get into the team. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's how it works. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah. All right, guys. Uh, so I would like to get to the topic of ETC slash WTC in a moment, perhaps. Um, but I, I still wanted to stay in the in the topic of, let's say, something more down to earth, something that, uh, let's say, the majority of people could relate to. I observe in myself, for example, that, uh, you know, I only get to play once a week, most, sometimes maybe twice a week, but once a week, usually. That's pretty often. <laughs> well, it's it's okay. It's definitely better than it used to be. But I observe that when I get to play once a week, I want that time to be like high quality time. And that quality time usually means I want to win. So if I don't get to win, I you know, I I'm trying to fight this off, but sometimes it happens that when I play like a Space Marine army, for example, that I start to bemoan the army of my enemy. Like Oh my god, this is so strong, or those infiltrators are just ridiculous, or something like that. So, uh, I guess this is my observation about myself, but also about other players that, you know, it, it's not because you mentioned aggression by the table. I think what is even worse sometimes, because aggression, like, you know, getting really angry, etc., it allows you to release the emotions. But being passive aggressive or being that <laughs> moany guy is even worse because it kills the entire mood of the game. So to everyone listening, don't do that. Don't be like me. Uh, and I'm also trying to, to, you know, do away with this. So. It's hard not to be grumpy when you play a stupid army. <laughs> if you want to play stupid army, that's the cost of it. You have to listen to that shit. <laughs> Thank you. That makes me feel much better. <laughs> <laughs> that was my point. Great, <laughs> uh, you remember. It's gonna get more annoying. <laughs> yeah, and Listen you remember I played the most annoying list that the game has seen for the last three years. So believe me, I've list I have listened to all of this. You just have to live with that. It's like part of the game. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> probably enjoyed that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was the part of the list, not to win, not to listen to the pain. <laughs> yeah, there, and there lamentation of the women. Yeah, there was actually one winter team championship when they brought the, all those brimstones, and when he was writing their battle reports, he was he actually had this special uh, paragraph that he was just telling, telling uh, in the battle report on which turn his opponent was dead mentally, like he was gone. Like he, he saw no more pleasure from the game. Thankfully, those armies are gone. Uh, I'm really glad because early eight was terrible. But yeah, we, as, as I said earlier, we are great at going off topic. Yeah, <laughs> again, don't worry about that. Uh, I already have the next question ready. So uh, the whole idea for this episode and the whole idea for uh, bringing the topic of, of sportsmanship you know, to the podcast is because recently I've played in a tournament um, where I played an opponent that I haven't met before. And uh, I got to, 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 to this point where, you know, I wasn't sure if he knows the rules of my army or not, because he played Blood Angels. I had my Grey Knights and Grey Knights got some significant boosts in uh, the recent Psychic Awakening. So, you know, on one hand, I wanted to be fair and I wanted to uh, explain to him what my army does. But on the other hand, I didn't really want to give away 
like the the you know all the details of my strategy because come on it's a tournament so you know how far do you go in explaining like the intricacies of your army to your opponent i know that at those high level tournaments like the etc it doesn't happen everyone should know all of the armies or the majority of the armies but like when you go to your local tournaments in warsaw for example and you meet a new guy and he might not know your army how far do you go in explaining what your army does and what your you know and not revealing what your army does uh, dave let's start with you yeah, it's a rather difficult question, but I'd like to re uh, reference it uh, to Dice Crusher tournament in Torun. Uh, this was a special uh, kind of tournament when you played two games against every opponent. Uh, at the first game, he played your army and you played his. Uh, on the second, you played your army and he played his. So uh, before the first game, you really had to tell your opponent what your army does, but not too much because you have some uh, aces in your, in your sleeve. Uh, but still, that's uh, somehow how we should think about it. Because when you start to telling your opponent what your army does, at the, high, at the WTC, ETC, it's obviously easier because everyone knows the game better, everyone is uh, up to date with the meta game, with the new rules, uh, new strategies, new uh, FAQs, etc. Et and has teammates uh, who can explain. Yeah, yeah, that's also a big one. Uh, but still, uh, there are still questions to clarify something, to explain something. Uh, it's obvious that you just tell your opponent what your army is uh, comp comp uh, made of, <laughs> which unit did you take, etc., etc., their war gear, their um, abilities, traits, uh, psychic abilities. But uh, I believe it's a good manner to just tell your opponents. Uh, the things that are not so obvious that are spe uh, special for your army, like if you're playing Genacool, just explain how the three inches deep strike works. Uh, if you're playing, I don't know, word eaters, for example, like me now, explain how uh, double activation for uh, berserkers work, or uh, that you can move uh, one of your uh, unit uh, before the game begins. Uh, so things like that uh, that are really important, especially extra moves, uh, doing something before the game starts, like uh, you have the deceiver that could uh, re redeploy for, uh, a few units, that uh, you have to think how, uh, uh, how uh, uh, which decisions your enemy has to make and just to think uh, what things from my army can affect them uh, in a real way and just tell him about them. If you're right, so asking, playing, so asking a question yes. like, do you, do you know my army? That's not enough, I guess. But then... <laughs> of course, like, you can do it. And then when your opponent just uh, falls into one of your traps and you're like, but you say you know my army. You can do it. No one will punish you for that. But it's a dick move. You don't do it. You're, it's not a gentleman gaming. And we want to have gentleman gaming in that system because that's what we do. We don't want to be a bunch of assholes that just try to rip against each other. We have to. We want to have fun while being competitive, as we stated before. Yeah, so the, the game, I guess, is this kind of a social contract that you have like the gen gentleman's game or at least in the perfect world that's something that you want but it's not always the case 
so so when when I when I was playing that guy, uh, you know, I had um, an apothecary in my list. And what you can do with the apothecary is you can drop three inches away from from the enemy. You have a really strong spell that has only one inch range, but you can increase the range to like by six inches, and you can literally just kill um, a character, for example, which you drop next to him with mortal wounds. So now, what I was, you know, uh, trying to digest was: should I explain to him all that? Or just like give him all the three rules and let him connect the dots. If he doesn't, then well, it's his fault. Or should I not go into it at all? So, but I guess there are many situations like that. So, uh, okay, yeah, let let me answer that. So, from my point of view, there is there are two approaches depending on the person you are playing against. If you see that's a newer player or someone who isn't really well known in your community, you tell them everything. Because there is there is always the point that if they do not if they die and lose the game not like literally die I hope no one <laughs> literally dies because of losing at the table but uh, when they lose the game because they didn't know about something they might be really demotivated because there's there's like one gimmick that really swung the tides but it's not really fun and. What I've done when I was playing against like newer players, I was actually telling them if they made a wrong move or if they made some kind of move, for example, exposing a character for double move from warp time and charging him, I would tell them that, do you know I have warp time and I can move second time? If they do not connect the dots then, okay, that's fine. Like They had their chance, but I warned them that I can do something like that. And uh, I think that should apply to all your games with like newer people. But when it comes to the games, for example, when you play against another top tier player, for example, when I would play against Dave, yeah, I know that's really egoistical of me, but when we would play against each other, there would be, we actually know pretty much our armies. And if, if it happens that he would be aware that I can do some tricks, I'm pretty sure Dave would ask me. He would yeah. ask me, can you do something like that? If so, how can you do that? And later, if I would do something like that, after telling him I couldn't, that's a dick move. Right. So, that's, that's the penalty. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. And for example, at EDC, there is an approach that if, you, if you've said one thing and done the, the opposite, you can get penalized and your whole team can get penalized because that's that's just a dick move. And, and uh, I think that should be like a rule of thumb when it comes to this, that you should not only tell your opponents like the basics, like Dave said, like he can move before the game, etc. Or in your case, when you said that you can teleport or deep strike the apothecary within three inches and then cast a spell. You can tell them the basic rules when you play against like a top tier opponent and they probably should be able to connect the dots. And I think it's your responsibility as well as a player to ask your opponent if they have certain tricks. Of course, you do not ask them, what are your tricks? <laughs> but you, 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 you formulate a more specific question that has something in mind. So for example, if you are 
afraid of someone killing your really, really uh, important character, then you can ask, can you do, for example, the double movement from Warplank, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it should be, and it shouldn't be only on one side to tell the opponent the army, but you should always take care of yourself as well. I would like to add one thing. Uh, if you are wondering if you should tell your enemy about some of your tricks and you're not sure, then you shouldn't be. Because if your strategy is based upon your enemy not knowing the rules of your army or not knowing the combos in your army, then your strategy sucks. Because uh, you want to aspire to be the best, always, even if you're playing not uh, as competitively as some people. But you still should try to be a best player to improve your skill, improve your tactics. So you cannot uh, base it upon uh, enemy not knowing your army. You wish you you should even wish that they know these tricks because then you can play better against a better enemy and you will improve and your gameplay would would improve. So don't be afraid of telling your enemy that you can do this or that because in the long term it will make you better player. Yeah, and, and yeah, don't play with skill and not with the opponent not knowing what you're doing. So that just leaves a bit of a bad taste. Yeah, there is there is there, there is a difference between the element of surprise and just using those gotcha moments to actually you know abuse your opponent. So uh, to our listeners, yeah, be mindful of that. So yeah, Joker. Uh, apart from what you just said, you you've been really quiet. So do you, as a person who also travels to tournaments, who I don't know, you went to Prague with me, for example, last year. Can you think, can you name any good practices that come to your mind that players could adhere to during games or maybe pre-game? Um, you know, something that, that people can do to just make their games a better experience for themselves and for their opponents. Yeah, I've been quiet because you skipped me for answering the two questions that we had before. <laughs> Sorry for that, mate. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but our guests answered them pretty much perfectly, so I wouldn't have much to add to that, uh, especially the last one, what Tiffa said, uh, just plus one to that. Either way, uh, good practices. So, um, yeah, well, be a gentleman, as I would now uh, better put what I said at the beginning of the podcast. I think that's, that's rule number one. And, um, yeah, I think... In a situation where you're pre-measuring distances, for example, you can agree with your opponent. Wait, do I have range here? Is it an H in charge? Is is? And then you just stick with it and you know, not not argue about it later. I think that's that's some of them. And yeah, just be chill, really. I mean, you can enjoy a competitive game at the highest level and be a gentleman, as we've said before. Okay, very cool. Tiffles, any ideas from your end? So any good practices, stuff that you do? Other stuff than drinking beer. Other than drinking beer, yeah. Well, yeah. well I, I also drink some stronger liquors at times, but I think that's not the answer to your question. <laughs> no, exactly. So, uh, no, actually the one that Joker mentioned, there's always one thing that you should make sure that you should not only pre-measure stuff, you should always make sure that your opponent knows what you are actually doing and planning to do. So if you are actually trying to, for example, move your 
model in a way that his left shoulder part could see certain part of the rhino and at the same time see, for example, obliterators, you should mention that to your opponent and then look at it to, together. So, for example, move it if they do not agree. If, if he says that's not doable and you think that's doable, you can call a ref, although ref will hate you for that because oh, that's why... Yeah, it's like that's just wasting time. You you can, yeah. There's always the caveat of something that's not really clear, but usually those things can be settled between the players. So I think making sure that your opponent knows what you're doing. So because usually during your turn, the most they can do is actually use stratagems, and you can actually make sure that they know what you're doing in a way that you're not revealing your whole plan. And as I said, moving certain model in a specific way, telling them what's your plan, so you won't argue later. Which is, for example, one specific case of that is the one that Joker mentioned. So that really makes the game easier for both sides. And as in every healthy relationship, you need to talk together about your problems. And the same should apply to, to, the, to board games. Yeah, correct. Good. Uh, Dave? Your comment. Any any other practices? Something yeah, that you that's... do on a on everyday basis? Uh, if you want to have a good and easy play, you should just start from the beginning. So before the game begins, you should talk with your opponent about table, about terrains. That's also always the case if you don't do it at the start of the game. Just agree what is what, what is a ruin, what is a forest, what is a hill. Uh, if there is some kind of uh, not obviously formed uh, terrains, uh, you should agree where it starts, where it ends, and uh, how tall it should be, etc., etc., just to have it uh, done, because if one of you believe that it's a crater and another one thinks it's a ruin, it could make some problems in the future uh, turns. Uh, you could agree on things like uh, when you re-roll the dice, uh, if they land on the terrain, do, do you re-roll them or do you just accept uh, how they lay? Uh, simple things like that. If you do it at the start of the game, you will make every other turn easier. Uh, and of course, talk about your armies, about the um, crucial strategies, etc., etc. Uh, what else? Drink a beer. Uh, take your time to really uh, just... Uh, be sure that you ask your opponent about everything. It's better to ask at the beginning of the game, do not rush anything, check your missions twice, etc. Because the more careful you approach the first uh, turn and the preparation for the first turn, the easier the whole game would be. Okay, then let me ask this. Um, I've had this a couple of times, both at tournaments and like friendly games, where a player on the other side of the table would say, for example, a guard player would say, dude, let's agree, unless I state otherwise, the my infantry will always have the order to, I don't know, uh, run, 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 or whatever. Is that something that you would accept? Like or, or a Necron player that, sa that says, unless I say otherwise, you're, at the beginning of every turn, that unit gets those re-rolls from my overlord or whatever. Is that something that you are willing to accept, or is it, again, something that your opponent shouldn't really um, ask because it's just lazy? 
obviously you should accept it it's uh, in a good taste because if it's clearly stated and you clearly agree to that you stick to it it's a good it's easy uh, especially for obvious things and then if you try uh, if your enemy agreed to it and then try to tell you that no uh, it's not true uh, at the WTC he would be more likely to get warned or even carded than the one who just tells that uh, okay unless other uh, otherwise stated i'm doing this and this every turn so i believe it's the way to play it as a gentleman it's gentleman agreement if you agree you stick to it you keep it and it makes everyone's life easier all right Tiffles, uh would you say that you allow take backs for example because yeah i, also, I yeah i maybe when i started the, my gaming Develop, I don't know, history. I don't know the word. I cannot find the word right now. But when I started gaming, playing the game, uh, I wouldn't allow them that much. I, I wanted to win. But right now, I think that really connects with what uh, I think Joker said. You want to win the game by being a better player and not by your opponent making like really stupid mistakes. So, for example, your opponent shot his five scouts on an objective into your five cabalites and he forgot his psychic phase like you would allow it because that one shot doesn't change anything and it would be obvious that they would uh they would do the psychic phase anyway or if they forget to charge somewhere on like a fringe objective that you know they would do then you then you allow it of course there are other, you need to take, make sure that you are not allowing a take back. For example, when your opponent realized that he wasn't able to kill your rhino with this one squad, and then when he shot and didn't kill it, then he would like to move that unit back. No, no that's, <laughs> that's not. That's, that's like the limit. Just for the that's obvious. Over the limit by a mile. <laughs> So yeah, there's 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 like a, I would say I allow take backs, and I think from pre recent years, WTC was more even forcing players to allow take backs. So for example, if someone didn't know about like a certain ruling that happened during the tournament because those things happened, and you would like to take advantage of that, well then we would allow a take back because it's clear he didn't know about it. So there were there there was a lot of cases when one player would say, no, you cannot do that. It's too late. And we as a referees would just ask that player if he is sure what he is saying. And after we were made sure that he wanted to be a dick, then we as a referees would actually warn him or card him and then let his opponent do the take back because it's still a gentleman's game and of course as i said there should be a border between what you you actually allow to take back and what you do not yeah dave you mentioned one interesting thing um as a as a good practice that you should discuss with your opponent for example how you approach re-rolling dice so I've I've had this with with some of my opponents who said, whenever the dice 
like rolls onto terrain, let's re-roll it because you know it's, it can always be cocked and so on and so on. So, yeah. uh, is this, for example, like a, like a house rule at, at your tournaments, or is it just something that you recommend, or that would be recommended for the ETC slash WTC? It's a recommendation. It's something um, not exactly written down. It's more like a part of the culture like right now. So it's a good practice. Just reroll these dice. It when you do it, you are one hundred percent sure that you would uh, have no problems with deciding what's the result. If it's that uh, dice cocked or not, you are sure uh, then. So it's a good way to do it. Uh, agree with uh, an opponent on that and just do it. But it's really important to do it uh, at the begin uh, before the battle begins. Before when you, because when you f uh, remember it at the first or the second turn when your enemy have has good uh, throw for something like d6 mortal wounds and he rolls a six that lands in the terrain. And then if uh, you happen to remember the rule of re-rolling from terrains then, it would be a rather big move. So just remember to do it before the battle. Right. So what, what we were actually doing in the recent years, and I've seen more, more people in the community actually, actually doing, is not only re-rolling everything that's on the table, uh, not on that flat table, and for example on terrain, People were bringing their own like rolling boards. I don't know how to call it. They would just have a, a separate space where all dice rolls would happen. So like and, dice trays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when they had those dice trays, they made sure that all the rolls are on one space. There would be no arguments whether a certain dice is cocked or not. Maybe some one will land on top of each other, then you roll that one. But those are like obvious ones. So uh, yeah, I've, and I think that's actually a good approach. For example, leave a space on the board when where nothing's happening. So one board edge where, where no one deployed and use that space to roll all the dices. And I think that's the best approach. It makes you not argue at all. Yeah, sounds, sounds very healthy. All right. And uh, as referees, and I'm asking all three of you because Joker, you you've been a referee to some uh, at least local tournaments here in 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 the north of Poland as well. How do you tackle players who try to take advantage of slow play? Because I think, especially in eighth, um, this was a hot topic at some point. People built their armies to sort of benefit from slow play. So how how can you? What are the tools that you have at hand to actually tackle that? Joker, let's start with you. I haven't really penalized that at local tournaments because it's sometimes hard to prove that someone is slow playing. I mean, at one point it's kind of obvious, but there isn't really any hard proof. So, uh, yeah, but at local events, it hasn't really been a problem too often. No one's been complaining about others playing too slowly, uh, at least not during the tournament when you can do something about it. Afterwards, sometimes, yes, but not during them, not during okay. games. Right, so those were the local tournaments. And now, uh, Dave, uh, at the bigger tournaments that you uh, participated in, how was that resolved? 
There's one uh, device to rule them all, it's called the chess clock. <laughs> so at the WTC uh, and ET, last ETC, it was mandatory to use chess clocks at the table. So there was these situations were really easier to solve as a uh, referee because you saw the numbers, who played how much. Of course, there was like one or two situations when there was like Oh, he played in my part of the time, it was a mistake, but usually, uh, unfortunately, it was uh, players who were um, chill and cool with playing and didn't have uh, any problems, and then just agreed to split the rest of the time. Um, anyway, chess clocks are uh, the best uh, tools. If you don't want to do it, what I understand, uh, it's uh, it's not always comfortable playing with the chess clock, especially when you're more laid back at playing. And if you see that your enemy is playing slow, just react accordingly and uh, in time. Because if you try, if it's f fifth turn or fourth turn, uh, you have ten minutes left to uh, report your scores. And you now find out that your enemy is playing slowly and you want to report it to the referee. You have a problem because it's senseless. It's too late to do anything. You won't find a referee coming to your rescue and just giving him penalty points. Well, maybe one in a hundred situation it would look like that because it would be obvious violation of the rules. But if you see that your enemy is playing slow, just tell him, okay, guy, you're playing uh, too slow. I'm afraid I won't be able to do my things. Uh, I think we wouldn't be able to finish the whole game. Uh, you have to speed it up. It's not rude. Just do it. Just tell him, communicate the fact that you think he's playing slow. If you do it one or two or even three times and he's still playing slow, you could then ask the referee... Of course, if it's not too late, you should do it rather quickly. And then the referee would decide, look at the game, look at him, his play style. Usually when the referee is at the table, the other player would stop slow playing already and would know that you know what you're doing because he won't try to do it again. Or if he's not slow playing at the purpose because he's just slow player, the referee could make him move faster. Uh, then the referee would have possibility to act. It's really important to remember that uh, referee is not a magic fairy. Uh, referee need uh, time and uh, occasion to act and help players because that's our role as a referee to help players play the full games, good games, uh, fair games. That's our role, but we need help with that also. So you cannot wait till the end of the game and then mourn about uh, your opponent's slow playing. You have to act according, accordingly and quickly. Okay, but I think that there are also different kinds of slow play, so to say. So one yeah, yeah. could be the, the, the obvious one, right? So the, the guy just doing stuff slowly, especially when he has, I don't know, a huge ar a horde army or something. But there are also those instances that I've experienced myself where uh, the, the dude on the other side of the, of the table would suddenly start asking me questions about my army, for example. And it felt like it wasn't out of genuine interest. It was more because like he wanted to, you know, either distract me 
or you know make me bring up the rules and, and prove something to him so how, how do you act in in a situation like that should i also go to the ref if this, if this is blatant that that he's doing that to you know um distract me or you know would the ref laugh in my face if i came to him and said uh, you know that my opponent is, is trying to distract me from uh doing what i wanted to do Tiffles, what do you think <laughs> i think those those situations actually happen at DTCs as well. Uh, and I think you shouldn't always first go to referee in a sense that it always sets up kind of different vibe to the whole game. Like when you go to the referee straight up during like pre-deployment, then it, it's kind of <laughs> weird, man. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird. I mean, I, I get it that you might be scared because you're playing like Horde Army against Horde Army. But yeah, like the referee can actually, I think it's not really like a referee's always imposed their will. But when you hear from a referee, especially at the tournament like WTC, that, okay, I've noted that. When then, when you are, for example, using chess clocks, when I will come here in two turns, I will look at the time and we will see what's going on. And of course, your opponent might be using your time because you're using chess clock wrongly. And if he's asking you personal questions, you do not switch the timer to his side, which that's completely another topic, but you should be, that's your part of the job to make sure your opponent isn't using up your time. You should take care of your time. But in general, from what I've seen, and I think Dave will know more because he read the first ETC with mandatory chess clocks, it really isn't that much of a problem. And once referee tells the players that there is a problem with the time and you should start spinning up, they actually do that. Uh, yeah, there you go on. It was a thing like, at the last uh, ETC uh, with the chess clocks. Uh, first, of, uh, first of all, it was mandatory to inform the uh, referee if uh, your game is like 20 minutes uh, to, uh, from the end uh, and one of the players ha has uh, less than 10 minutes than his opponent. Uh, something like that. There was like two situations when you have to tell the referee uh, that the situation looks like that. But uh, in the practice, uh, the referee cop was really proactive at this. We spent last hour of uh, each turn walking uh, by every single table and checking the chess clock to see uh, how the difference uh, in the timing between the players look like. To inform the player that, okay, guy, it's uh, 10 minutes uh, to the end of the round and you have... Uh, uh, something like that you have 10 minutes uh, in, uh, on your chess clock uh, till the end of the game do you think you would manage to make your two or three turns in that time uh, and you look at the table at his uh, army what's left of it uh, what uh, his enemy is doing etc etc and you would just um, make sure uh, sometime before the end of the game that everything would be in the place and inform the player to make his move faster etc 
because uh, it was easier way to deal with the things with the slow play than uh, to just wait till the end of the game and then decide who was uh, st stalling or uh, just being asshole or just wasn't paying attention to the clock. Okay. So yeah, so let's let's look closer at that uh, aspect of, you know, the, the highest level of, of competitive play. So the ETC or the WTC, uh, also the, 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 the singles tournament that happens uh, the day before, those are pretty much the highest levels of competitive play that you can have. There is, uh, I think in the States you have uh, the LVO, Nova, um, but in Europe, probably ETC uh, is, oh, is the highest level. Yeah. So, um, from your perspective, what, what measures are implemented to make sure that all players obey the rules? Of, and, and maybe, you know, do players adhere to those rules or do, do are there violations? And if there are, what could those be? Tithos, what, what can, you, can well, we start with you? Yeah, so I think it, when it comes to tournaments like WTC, it didn't just suddenly started working during the last uh, ETC in 2019. It was a process and it was like a really long process. I think it was mostly started, I think, when Neil started to be a ref. For those unaware, Neil is like first guy who was playing throughout all, nearly all years of the tournaments of the when ETC was actually going on. And he was fed up of all the competitiveness and being a dick. And he started to, he wanted to become a ref and like put a stop to, on that, to that. And uh, I think it was back in 2015 or 16, I think it was Athens, that he started to change all the rules and make sure people are nicer to each other. And uh, it, it was a process. It took years because we needed to find out what's working, what's not. And what we found out, I think Dave will be more capa capable of talking about it because he had more experience during last year. But uh, when it came to tournaments, like when I was refing back in 2018, uh, we were actually, we didn't have, for example, chess clocks. But what we had was a threat. But not a threat in a sense that I will beat you up, of course not. But <laughs> no, <laughs> but, but rather in a sense that every player knew that if they failed their team in a sense that they were unsportsmanlike, etc., their whole team will be penalized for that. And when people actually started noticing that, it's not only them, but you actually ruin the event not only for your opponent but for example for your whole team uh, let's say there was one time when one player was caught with the uh, loaded dice and yeah, after he <laughs> after he got caught their whole team was actually really scared that they would be penalized like all the other players who didn't they know were about afraid it. that they would be banned from the etc for the next years because so, yeah, of one guy who was yeah. selfish. And I think that, that it's not really a threat for like one singular player, but for when it comes to WTC, it's more of a team game. So there's like, 
I don't know the statement in English, but there's like a community penalty for every player that's that's involved. So social penalty. Yeah. <laughs> or a I, stigma. I, I, yeah, I, I know the Polish word, but I don't think our non-Polish listeners will actually get what I just said. So I will skip that. So, uh, uh, so I think when you made it pretty clear, yeah. So when it comes to other tournaments, you actually not not those team tournaments, but singles. You actually need to be harsh. Because people usually, when you are a lenient ref or organizer, people will abuse that. There are always people that will try to cross the line. And what actually works is setting up really strict rules. For example, uh, when, you, when you have one uh, chance, for example, uh, there's a rule that you can only, if you... Uh, if you lose on time because your time ran out and your opponent had like 20 minutes left, something like that, if it happens more than once, you are automatically expelled from the tournament. Uh, and it can apply both to team tournaments when there would be no, no one stepping in and you just lose a player and lose one game zero to uh, 20 to nil. And when it comes to single tournaments, if you just were penalized twice for being a slow player, you wouldn't play any other game. And it's not even that you need to execute those threats, but pure fact that people know that there's someone capable of executing those is what I think the best approach, even though it's harsh. I would really prefer to not have those but that's what we actually realized throughout the years, that there's always someone trying to cross the line. Yeah, and there's still the situation with uh, in frictions, uh, cumulative uh, in frictions, that uh, if uh, at the turn one, the one player would uh, not finish the game in time, and the second game, uh, other player from that team wouldn't finish the game at the time, uh, it's not like uh, they're good. Uh, they're still getting penalty points that could add up to even losing a round that they would otherwise win. So it's still uh, punishable and it's still uh, bad for the team. Uh, so uh, when you plank at that le at this level at the WTC ETC, uh, you just know that you're not playing for yourself. You're playing for your whole team and you for your whole country. So the pressure to not lose the points in a stupid way. Uh, it's really high. Is it also true that uh, it's generally worse for your team to be that problematic person and get penalized than to lose the game, for example? Yes, of course, because uh, if you reach the highest level of being uh, a count and you just uh, get yourself red carded or uh, removed from the time penalties, etc., uh, your team uh, would usually not uh, lose all the next uh, rounds uh, where you wouldn't be able to play, but sometimes even your previous scores would be set to zero even if you won. So it's much, much worse uh, to get uh, your uh, team in that position. And still in frictions. Uh, if you are doing uh, bad things at the table, you're not uh, playing like a gentleman, you're abusing the rules, uh, you're not being nice. Uh, uh, 
then you're just collect the negative points and your wins could be overwhelmed by the negative points uh, granted from your infrictions. So it's not worth it to win at all costs because there's a huge difference because between being competitive and uh, trying to win at all costs. You can uh, be competitive and be a gentleman and play a good game and being a whack, <laughs> being a dick, it's not a way to be a good player. Right, guys, uh, Tifus just dropped me a line that he needs to drop, so uh, from now on we'll continue just the three of us. Now, does it happen, or has it happened, um, at the ETC that you've been refereeing, that someone actually openly argued with your ruling or a ruling of another referee, and how is that tackled uh, at an event like that? Maybe some people tried, not with me, because I had my reputation uh, after the first or two day or second day uh, that it's not worth it. Uh, it's it's like I can talk with our players. I I always do because I want to know the situation. But once I know it, and once I consulted with other referees if needed, because there is also a rule that. If a problem could be solved by just looking at the rulebook, codex, or FAQ, or or ETC uh, rules pack, uh, the one referee could do it. But if the situation is different, uh, you need a free referees to consult and uh, vote on the ruling. At this point, when the one or three referees make a decision, you are not in a position to argue. It's done. Decision is made and you have to adjust to it. If someone tries at this point, he's just stupid and wasting everyone's time. So right, so, so I, 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 recall, I recall that last year um, I listened to a different pod- podcast that was Vanguard Tactics, but uh, that, the host of that is uh, Stephen Box, who I think plays for the UK team. Uh, and he made an episode about sportsmanship as well in which he mentioned that he had a really bad time playing uh, one guy who uh, among other things argued with the referee during an event and it was a major event uh you know it was it was uh it really spoiled the time for for steven and uh steve then said that the referee took quite long to actually react and to penalize the player for arguing so he called for you know like generally in the warhammer community to empower the referees to have more tools to have more power to react to situations like that so from your perspective do you feel empowered to do you, do you feel that you have the right tools at hand to you know do away with people like that and problems like that uh, first things first, uh, at the WTC I obviously do, because uh, referees has a had strong position. Uh, it's uh, really the effect of the referees' work for the years now, that uh, they really try their best to be uh, as professional and as uh, good as possible. So right now the referee corp at the ETC is really something that player respect. Uh, because they know what they can do and what they do. But um, on the other hand, I think that's also the question of uh, personality. Uh, You just have to 
be that kind of person to be a referee that if you have made your decision, the decision is done. You do not discuss it further. Because when you allow player to get on your head, he would do it if he's an asshole. Uh, you would, wouldn't be able to stop him from this point. He would try it every time to get around you, to make you soft, etc., etc. You just have to be sure, sure what you're doing, why you're doing it, and enforce your rulings. That's all. Okay. And what about giving yellow cards, red cards? Is that common or is that last resort? Uh, I believe that uh, two years ago when the uh, Tifus was uh, a referee, it was more common to give a yellow cards. Uh, last year it was uh, not as often as it uh, w was two years ago. We were more, uh, more likely to give uh, infriction uh, and warnings. That would also uh, adapt to the negative points for the team. That would have really similar results. Uh, and of course, there was uh, that uh, red card uh, for a player with all the dice. It was my very own red card that I <laughs> was able to give him because I was the one to uh, caught him red-handed. <laughs> uh, it took some time, but uh, we, fi we finally uh, find out that he was using that dice and he was just cheating. And uh, yeah, that was a really bad situation for the community, but I'm glad that we discover it in time and just uh, make that decision and make everyone happy that they didn't have to play against uh, something like that. In your opinion, is the amount, is the smaller amount of the yellow cards uh, a matter of players behaving better or is it just uh, you being more relaxed, let's say? I believe that sometimes just the vision of getting a card was enough. I, re I often did it because it was like, okay, you do this and this or you will get carded. And players just would uh, start doing it. Mm -hmm. As I said before, it's not a referee mission to punish people. Referee's mission is yeah, to make games better. So it's not uh, always the best way to just punish people and give them cards. If they're really assholes, then of course you should, because it it could just prevent them from getting elected for the team at the next year. It's also the not only the ETC level decision, because sometimes when the, a player comes back from the ETC with a card, that would say a lot uh, to his community that we should watch out and uh, try to figure out if he's uh, acting okay. Could we trust him again next year to go? It's something like that, but uh, I believe it's not always necessary to give that car. Sometimes you, if you can uh, solve the problem with a smaller tool, you don't need a power axe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And do when you give a, a card to someone, does that card stick to that player for for another tournament, for example, or uh, you know maybe not on the ETC level from year to year, but like in your local um, scene when you go to tournaments or in the Polish league, maybe because I don't even know what the stance on that is. Uh, I can remember any Polish tournament with the cards. It's just. Um decision of the referees and if you're not happy with the decision you could leave the tournament <laughs> some people <laughs> that's fair and simple yeah 
Uh, at the ETC, you have the cards. Uh, there was uh, a situation that the cards would stack. So if you have a yellow card at the 2017, the yellow card at 2018 would uh, c accumulate to the red card and you're out. But I don't remember. Right now we are working on the rules pack and I would just have to take a look again if uh, to see if it's uh, still in play because as everyone knows or should know the WTC now split from the ETC so there's a little less continuity than it was uh, last time but I believe uh, even if it's not the case at the 2021 it would be in the uh, following years. Okay and you said that you're uh currently working on the rules with other referees so can you give us a little bit of insight on what this actually looks like because I understand that there is a team of referees from different countries that talk to each other and basically you know work out how a rule should be interpre uh, interpreted and so on but then I also heard that there is like the captain community and the, the captain community is consulted yeah. as well so how, how does that work? Okay, so right now I'm in the both groups because uh, I'm the referee for the last year. I was also elected to be referee for 2020, but unfortunately the tournament didn't happen. Uh, I'm also at the captain's chat because uh, I'm the head of the Polish league right now. So um, until we have our uh, new new team new team captain i'm taking the position to just uh, keep up with the news and inform everyone uh, so there's two two places uh, one is a referee chat when you have uh, uh, referees uh, from uh, this year last year uh, we have also a tom who's working with us and he's a mastermind uh, behind our uh, faqs uh, right now, uh, the situation is mostly like, from time to time, someone uh, pops up the chat with, uh, listen guys, there was a question during a tournament, and we just sit from for the next two hours discussing uh, if how it should be worded, how it should be um, treated, and should we write it down in a FAQ or not, is it obvious enough or is it not. Uh, it's really grinding from the for, for, uh, through the less clearly written uh, parts of the rule book right now. And there is a captain chat when, where there is more uh, organization topics uh, at hand, uh, more talking about uh, how the tournament should look, uh, how many games we should we have, how many how much time do we need. Uh, are we happy from that rule, or are we going to allow the Forge World uh, units, etc., etc.? It sometimes could be a mess because uh, at the point when you have to coordinate over 30 people from different countries, uh, things start to be really messy sometimes. And uh, trying to agree on something, and we try not only to just vote things uh, like 31 to 29 because you know that uh, almost half of the people are uh, not uh, happy with the result because you try to get a bigger coalition, bigger, uh, more consent for uh, decisions. So it's kind of politics, kind of organization stuff, kind of trying to get the bet game better. It's hard to really uh, get all the free things together, but it's possible we're doing it. There's a lot of work from Tom, from Isaac, uh, 
a uh, lot of work from Neil, uh, captains, etc., etc. We're just trying to work through the year, uh, so when the WTC happens, uh, most of the problems are already uh, behind us, and uh, most of the, the dilemmas are already uh, done with. Yeah, it's it's really cool to know that you know there is a whole bunch of people behind those decisions and when the rule rules pack is released it's not just a whim of a you know a bunch of dudes but it's actually a, a, a greater group of people that made an agreement we in that social had contract. some votings about things so. <laughs> yeah. right we're taking it seriously every even the most stupid questions about the rules <laughs> yeah i mean sometimes you have to you don't have any other choice uh, gw has to go through the same thing i guess when they get the questions from players so yeah Tell me this, because I, I observe that the majority of tournaments have some sort of ruling about uh, modeling. So modeling um, as in using, for example, original models or uh, rules against modeling for advantage. I don't know if that is even a thing still, but yep, maybe you can tell us. And then also ruling about like painting your models. Even GW now uh, grants points for, for having models painted. Would you say that you know, uh, bringing not original models or unpainted models to local tournaments and so on is also considered unsportsmanlike, or you know, it shouldn't be penalized because not everyone can afford to to have the best models or the, the newest models. Not everyone can paint. What's your approach to that? Uh, I have rather liberal approach to that topic because I understand the point that uh, you want to play with painted models and against the painted model on the on the pretty good table, uh, preferably with beautiful sceneries and terrains. But that's something we did in the seventh edition and uh, at the beginning of the eighth edition. And we can all remember that beauty, there was many beautiful tables that were just fucking garbage and it was useless. And uh, playing on them uh, was disaster because not always the pretty thing is a useful thing. Uh, I think it's something uh, similar with the model because me, myself, I'm more the gamer than a painter. Uh, I sometimes when I go to the local tournament, I don't really need to have all my models painted. Uh, I sometimes would like to use a proxy of the model. I'm just trying to figure out if I want in my army. I don't buy the model, paint it, and then uh, figure out if I want it in my list. So <laughs> it's the other way around. Uh, but at the higher level, um, challengers, masters in Poland, uh, or country tournaments, or at the WTC, yeah, you just go with the painted models. You had your time to prepare, um, you just do it. It's not that hard. Uh, using proxies is great because uh, it keeps the modeling side of the game fresh. Uh, you have some uh, ability to make the guys uh, more for you. It will be your guys. Uh, so I really accept proxies. At the WTC, there was a, there's a practice that if you want to use not uh, GW models uh, for the game, you just have to submit them uh, for, to the referees and we will decide if they're good or not, if uh, they could replace the original model. And usually there was no problem with that, uh, especially when the models were uh, really well painted and modeled. 
uh, if the size is right, if the base is right, if the height is right, uh, then why not? Uh, of course, uh, you should try to keep with the what you see is what you get. You have to have your war gear represented, uh, all kind of stuff. But uh, if you are done with all of it, it there is no modeling for uh, advantage. Uh, then why not? Just do it. It's our hobby. It's our time, our money. If you want, to, if we want to just experiment with something, uh, try something else than uh, games workshop models, why not? There is a lot of beautiful alter alternatives on the market, so just go for it. Okay, so I guess with with models, it's exactly like with uh, the rules. If you have any doubts whether you can bring something to a tournament, and in the same manner, Ask the referee exactly is the way always, yeah. <laughs> or the tournament organizer. So yeah, ask in advance to be sure. Yeah. Okay. Ask before to avoid problems later. <laughs> General rule of playing tournaments. <laughs> Great. Okay, Dave, we're we're nearing the 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 end of the episode. So one last question from me, and that would be: You are, as we said, the head of the Polish league. You are a ref to the um, WTC. You are a national team member for Poland. Yeah, I know. There what? was nothing more I could achieve in, the, in this game. <laughs> yeah, I think so. You can now retire safely. Uh, but as you know, but no, you are a celebrity in Poland, so to say. People know who you are. People recognize you. That's good. I'm trying to be a nice guy, so I hope it's because of that. <laughs> yeah, it is. But it is apparent. Actually, you know, at tournaments, uh, you, you, there is that positive energy coming from you. But the question that I wanted to ask is, is there anything that you do specifically, for example, to you know, to encourage sportsmanship or sportsman-like behavior? Is there any, you know, or any piece of advice that you can give to people to be better at the game? And just, okay, first of all, it's cliche, but it's a game. Uh, and one something that I realized with time is uh, you're going to have more fun and you're going to be a better player. Uh, when you stop uh, getting emotional with your list and with your results. Uh, if you build your list like, oh my god, my idea is really great and I bet it's going to work. And then you go to the tournament and your list is not doing what it's supposed to do. You are not winning. Then you're going to get angry, you're going to get sad, you want to uh, try to help your list in some way, maybe try to cheat a little or to be asshole because you're not uh, happy with your list. It's a bad way to do it. Treat your list like uh, some kind of tool. You could change it, don't get uh, attached to it. If it doesn't work, just change it. Okay, you tried, it didn't work, go further. If you're treating your army, your list, your models uh, without emotions, it's easier to play for fun and it's easier to improve as a player. When I play and my list is losing, then uh, of course I can see, uh, look at the game and try to figure out what did I did wrong. But then I could just look at my list and figure out, okay, that didn't work, that didn't work, and that worked. So I'm keeping the thing that worked and change the other things. And next time I'm going for a tournament, I'm not angry and trying to prove something that, okay, my list is going to work this time. No, I'm just having fun again because there's something new I, I could try. And I can see if it's going to work or it's not going to work. 
So remember, don't get too attached to your list. It's really not obvious, but it's hel- but it helps. Yeah, it's a really cool piece of advice. And I uh, just noticed that I noted down a thing that you said at the very beginning of the podcast. Uh, yes. You said something about um, playing for <laughs> for high stakes, or at least that's the, the note that I that I made. And actually, um, I recall that at some tournaments in the US there is like a financial reward that you play for, I don't know, $1,000 or something like that. Do you think, you know, this could be implemented, for example, at the ETC? Because I think at the ETC, you don't win any money or anything like that. During Polish tournaments in the Polish league, you also don't win any money. Do you think that introduction of such a concept would bring the worst out in people? Or is it maybe something that would motivate people additionally? on top of what they already have? Obviously both. Uh, From some people it would uh, really have a bad impact on them because they would just like to get uh, some money. Everyone loves money, it's obvious. And for some people it would be really motivating. Yeah, of course. Maybe some people would just give it a a tournament try so when they see that they could win some money. I don't believe it would destroy uh, the gameplay or make people that much worse uh, as it would help uh, bringing some new people into the gaming or just encouraging the old player to get back. Uh, we would have to just try it out and see. We've seen, we always see the bad side of, the, of, that, of that coin because there are really um, uh, loud cases uh, when someone at the finals or semi-finals of some really well-paid tournament uh, cheated on someone and got caught and denied etc etc there are cool stories uh, with drama emotion bad guy good guy who's who's who etc etc yeah people love that shit but we don't see the silent side of that coin that people that uh, wouldn't show up for the tournament if it weren't for the uh, encouragement from the money award or from the higher prestige uh, coming with that uh, reward. Um, so there's good sides and bad sides, like every time. I don't see a clear answer right now. I would like to see the tournaments with uh, big prizes in Poland. Because if someone is going to be a dick, he's going to be a dick over um, one box of tactical marines that you could win at the um, typical t- local tournament or something and uh, he would be also a dick over a five thousand dollars so i believe for those people it doesn't really matter and for other people it could be in an improvement okay yeah i i totally agree so it's it's something that we could you know implement and test we can observe how uh, others do it for example, in the US, if it actually brings the words in people or not. Um, and yeah, and give it a try for the future. Right, Joker, any last words, any questions? Because we have to wrap the episode. Uh, yeah, I think that a good summary of, of our episode uh, about sportsmanship would be just be the guy that you would enjoy playing against. It's not a cliche at all, but it's... <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's very spot on. It's it's actually you know, uh, like like Treat I said, others uh, like you would like to be treated. Oh yeah, yeah. very much, Jack. Very much. Thank you, Jesus, we're now better people. <laughs> <laughs> 
Right. Okay. No, but it's a, it's a good thing to end an episode with. So, um, yeah, guys, remember, uh, just respect your opponents. Uh, try to have fun as much as possible. Um, because if you have fun, your opponent probably will have fun as well. Big advice if you are trying to win by cheating, you are not improving as a player, you're getting worse as a player, but so in the long ter- time, it pays off to be a honest player. And worse yes. as a person yes. as well. Of course. Yeah. To yeah. add another cliche. And you won't go to hell is another good thing of that. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed to all of that. Right, guys. Dave, uh, it's been a real pleasure to have you. It was a pleasure for me. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, if you would have some more questions for me, I would be glad to step by and answer and make some jokes. That would, I promise, next time I would be more funny. <laughs> uh, so, uh, I guess if people want to find you, what Warhammer 40k? I mean, wh40k.pl. Uh, your name is out there in the user list, so they can PM you, try yeah. to reach you like that, right? There's no problem, write, uh, write me a PM or just find me on the Facebook. <laughs> All right. Okay. You can find me on the Facebook by my nickname also, so uh, I'll just write David Dave <laughs> and it would work. Yeah, okay. Uh, really cool. I'm open. Really cool. Great. <laughs> so thanks for participation. Thanks, Joker, for co-hosting. And uh, until next time. Yeah, thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks. Bye.